0: Hello there i'm maor sadra ceo and co-founder at incremental welcome to podrick the podcast the incremental podcast that adds even more value this is our second series titled we are all mad here we interview interesting people from all sides of the marketing industry leaders from ad platforms growth managers brand marketers and people we just love talking with because we appreciate their opinions we don't rehearse and don't practice keeping the interviews unscripted and open-ended we talk about anything from industry buzzwords to the trend you should actually care about. In this interview, I'm grateful to talk with Younot, co-CEO of the Verve Group, the media arm of MGI. Younot is a former colleague and a good friend of mine. He's also one of the most passionate person I've ever worked with. With a wide view and understanding of the programmatic advertising world, Younot shares his opinions about the death of the cookie, the deprecation of the IDFA, and ongoing consolidation in the market. Hope you'll enjoy listening to this podcast. Hey, Yunot. How are you?
1: Hey, Mauro. I'm good. Uh, long time. Good to see and, and hear you.
0: And nice to see you again. Um, Yunot and I have a little bit, actually, not even a little bit. We have like, we know each other for like about eight and a half years now.
1: Something like that, yes. Yeah, a long used- while, I would say. Um, an epoch in EdTech. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's amazing that how, like, the amount of time we actually worked um, together. But I think that I could probably count the times that we actually had chances to, to spend some time to me, to sit for dinner, uh, maybe on two hands.
1: Yeah, we're I very see, busy with, people. I think we spend more time together when we were not working together than <laughs> working uh, together. Um, yeah,
0: and then there was really this one, one period where we, uh, where we sold the uh, Uplift slash pubnady together. This is where we got to work a lot together.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that was some yeah.
0: intense, intense period. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, definitely.
0: You know, maybe you, uh, maybe you can introduce yourself and give a bit of background to how you got to where you got as well.
1: Uh, sure thing. So my name is Ioanu Chobotaru. I'm uh, I'm Romanian in Berlin for 10 years, uh, close to 10 years. And how I got to MGI being co COO of Verve Group, the media arm, is is actually to the acquisition of Pubnative And they bought uh, bought Pubnative and, and uh more than two years and a half ago, something something along those lines. So that's how I joined the the media and games invest. Um, and yeah, I've been uh, working with them or their strategy to, to build and buy. Previous to that, I was at, at Uplift, more or less when, when Mauer joined, I left, uh, coincidence or not. And, and, then, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then before that, I had my own company in Romania, a web, uh, web development and marketing uh, shop or agency. i running it for a couple of years.
0: Cool. And how does your day-to-day look like these days?
1: Oof. Uh, well, it changes every day, almost, uh, almost like ad tech. Uh, but there are some some constant, uh, let's say, constant things. So, for example, I'm working quite a bit on um, on helping our publisher base move from Mopub to to Max. Well, because of the the recent acquisition and the soon-to-be deprecation, so that takes me quite a bit of time. Then uh, working with, let's say, my direct reports and my business partner, Samir, uh, on product tech and then the, yeah, strategy um, and planning and execution and things along those lines. And then a decent amount of time I also spend on, on m and So that's uh, the new part of the job that I, I haven't done as much before, but I've been getting rather proficient at it in the last couple of, of years.
0: Nice. And do you still, do you still meet publishers yourself?
1: Yes, I actually talked to to Chandra from Mobility where yesterday and <laughs> Zinga before meet uh, online, obviously. But uh, but yes, I try to to meet clients at least once uh, once per, per week. Uh, for for example, even today I have publicists coming up later. So clients, both on the demand and the supply side, just to get in touch and make sure I don't lose the touch. With uh, yeah, uh, with their needs, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I think I think you and I share this. Like we grew from the bottom, okay? We didn't come from like a, I don't know a management consulting and landed as a vice president and C suite and so on. We literally grew from the bottom, like through I think hard work. We were
1: hustlers. I, if yeah. you would ask me. I think we we're, were hustlers. So then, yeah, and going from the bottom to to the top, yeah, it's, uh, you keep some things that that got you there, right? So.
0: I wonder if we actually ever need to let go of that part of our, like, you know, even an uplift when I was CEO, and it was like fairly large, like, I I would, I'd love, I loved traveling and meeting customers and speaking with them. And I don't know, sometimes I used to make the excuses. Yeah, I'm just, you know, training the team, but honestly, I just like doing it.
1: Me too, and I'll tell you something something crazy. I'm thinking that everyone should do it. You know, DoorDash, how they they ask even their developers to to run some orders from time to time. I think if you really want to be close to the customer and understand their needs, you need to be to be close to them. So I have two prerogatives. One is to meet clients. The other one is to meet also individual contributors. To your point, when the company grows larger, you can also become isolated from what happens on the uh, on the um, how do you say on the front lines, right? And you don't want that. Otherwise, the company might not run. Um, as smoothly or as well as you want to so you need to be in touch both with customers and with um, yeah individual contributors let's say
0: how how big is verif these days
1: uh more than 400 people uh i think now Uh, so it's it's fairly large yeah different different challenges than when you have a smaller company um yeah for sure it's a learning it's a learning curve for me as yeah
0: Yeah, I, I, to be fair, I really enjoy going back to like the garage startup mode where we're 12 people now, but like I'm i am the only non-engineer person in the team. So it's like I get to touch a lot of stuff, which is, you know, it's, I it's cool. Really it's cool. Like,
1: it's really, I, I would say another thing that I like to keep is the garage startup mode. So last year I was working on this Atom solution that, that we had, uh, and I hope the opportunity will surface uh, itself again to be able to work in a project with a small team, Mostly with engineers, that you just um, maybe some some business as well to, to get the client feedback, but just to work and uh, and have that that feeling of of you know like, um, like a small team, small family. It's it's um, I would say that's also important.
0: Let me ask you a generic question that I keep asking in this series: um, Do you think marketing is an art or a science?
1: So uh, so I think it's it's both. I I I would, I would say something. Um, I think it's quantitative art which I know sounds, sounds ridiculous because art is, is more or less placed by, it's subjectively priced, but it's not necessarily subjectively priced, right? Because then there's a marketplace and there's supply and demand, usually less supply, and then demand increases the price, right? So scarcity. So if you think about advertising and marketing, there's also these kind of marketers, marketplaces where there's supply and demand and, and people buy and sell. So I would say it's quantitative art, if that, if that uh, makes sense. Um, because you can, you can quantify it, I would say arguably more than art, but it has all of the creative parts of art and creative one being one of them, then being copy. And then you actually need to be creative to, to deliver results. I would say, especially in this fragmented uh, fragmented space.
0: And another question, again, uh, coming, coming back to the point where we both, you and I kind of like grew from the bottom. What, what advice would you give anyone trying to enter this space? uh
1: brace brace uh <laughs> you know this instruction <laughs> you know what it means uh, on the plane when you get in <laughs> uh and i would say for for, for real uh so the, yeah that's what i would say it's a roller coaster and it changes all the time so you need to have what it takes to stay there especially for for a long time getting no from clients getting no from vcs and all of these things you need thick skin and you need yeah it's it's not easy, but all of these challenges are also rewards, right? If you manage to overcome them and stay there long enough. So I would say that uh, brace, brace. Uh, maybe seriously, I would add another thing is just uh, go back to the basics, especially now because I would say uh, things changed a lot at least in the, the privacy landscape and identity. so then, uh, going back to the basics, I think the theory of marketing with inputs and outputs and and even offline channels, right, uh, are now more more practicable than uh, than ever. So I would add that um, before brace brace. <laughs> it's
0: hard. It's hard to go back to the basics, kind of like especially like when we're. You know, from so many years, uh, honestly, marketing became purely a science. Okay. It was really less about the arts. Like you had enormous, enormous amounts of data and you could essentially reach a point where you're really predicting anything. And I think it's like, you know, when, when we look at the the death of the identifier, um, it, it really did change things around. And I wanted to really ask you, and definitely you have a product that you build around this area. How are ad platforms like Verve handling uh, the death of the IDs, upcoming death of the cookie? Uh, What have you been doing?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll answer that, but first I do think we've been spoiled by the amount of of data and um, how do you say, the one-to-one matching, right? Especially in digital and in digital products, so easy. It became data science, LTV, ROAS, optimization, ML, just go for it, easy, right? Uh, But when you don't have the one-to-one, right? uh, anymore, then you need to bring the art back to, to the science. Right. So which brings me to, to my point, terms of what we've, we're building. We're actually, so we have three pillars on how we look at, um, addressability and also, um, yeah, at addressability, let's just uh, keep it like that. So the first one is, is behavioral. Uh, which is predicted by by consent and choice so users should be informed and if they they want they, they should be able to to get the personalization that they need and, and things along those line but they should equally be able to say no yeah if they don't find the value if they don't understand the value so that's the the first pillar uh, which is called as a behavioral identity the second pillar is is context so just looking at the current content time of day location and other are signals to provide an uh, non-identifiable uh, signal that you can then uh, leverage for optimizing performance. And then there's cohort. So this is what we've, we've built in-house, which is a, a solution that sits directly on the device, takes data from the device itself, from the app that's being currently used, uh, from the ads that are being shown and so on over a period of time. Um, and and we have some, let's say, privacy preserving mechanisms to, to make sure that this cannot be reversed engineered right? To, to identify the the user, and that we have a minimum threshold, almost like a privacy budget, you could say, um, that um, that generates a certain size of, of the segment. And of course, the segment is prob- probabilistic, right? Is not deterministic, but it has certain accuracy or fidelity for a male, or female, interested in cars, interested in fast food, and all of these things. So those are, I would say, the the pillars. Now, as we operate on 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 a variety of channels from mobile to, to web to CTV, then we need to adapt the solutions. Sometimes we build like Atom, uh, sometimes we partner like for web, we partner with LiveRamp, with ID5 and other solutions that, that exist there. As I think in the open ecosystem, it's, it's hard to do everything alone. And actually, I don't think you should. Actually, I think you should partner and that's how the, the ecosystem actually grows.
0: And cool, I have a question later about the clean, yeah. but uh, maybe yeah. going a, a step back, so again I think you understand this industry pretty well and you understand the mechanics and the semantics as well, how would you differentiate attribution from measurement?
1: Um, I, I, I like this question uh, because we, we always see those coupled two, together um, and I, I don't think, at least my personal view, is that they're not um, um, not as tightly coupled together. They can be, but not as. So I look at at measurement as a um, as a upper funnel uh, type of metric. So you have views, you have completed views, you have attention, you have your ability, and all of these things, right? And and you measure that. Well, attribution is more for, for lower funnel. So leads, um, installs, even ROAS, right? So it goes. So that's how I split measurement and attribution. Now, um, in digital. Especially if it's a digital product and the whole user journey is digital, those are blended, right? It's it's more or less uh, sides of the same coin, and you you flow from one to the other almost seamlessly, right? So, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's how how I look at it. Um, yeah,
0: I got so many different answers, by the way, in this uh, for this question to the point where I literally opened a dictionary <laughs> to try to understand <laughs> because you know it's. Um, so I think I was talking about it with Adam Jaffe, where, like, it, it got to the point where, you know, you, you repeat the same word again, and you kind of like
1: lose the meaning of it, in a way. Um, Fair enough, and I do think those are, are are overused, and and probably we should standardize on, on the, the definitions, but yeah.
0: Yeah, our industry is not big on standard standardizing buzzwords, let's say it like uh, that. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Take uh, transparency. What the hell does transparency mean? We
1: can also go with privacy rather than <laughs> dreaming.
0: <laughs> um, like, let's talk about market consolidation. And here, obviously, uh, you've been fairly active on this topic. Uh, do you think the market is done with the consolidation? Do you think it just started? Um, or what is uh, like, what's left uh, for, for companies to go for?
1: So I think it's in between. Obviously, it's it's it started already, and it went went quite far. Uh, but when we we still look at the LumaScape and the, the landscape, you do still see, um, I would say, large both large companies in each of the the verticals or their own categories, both from SSPs, DSPs, and so on, and also smaller uh, players, maybe new players uh, and new entrants, right? So I think, so I think it looks still uh, fairly. Um, fairly solid uh, let's say the landscape right now both with independence and with consolidation so it's actually uh, yeah a healthy healthy ecosystem I would say almost like a mature ecosystem where you uh, buy companies that you actually need then there's enough space for independence to carve their niche as, as the market grows and consolidates so it's it's uh, let's say our pipeline is pretty uh, pretty decent uh, in all of the the areas that we're, we're interested in and we fairly see also new companies so I would say it's um at the golden age of adtech, if you if you ask me, and you you know, as we've been in it for for a while, uh, I haven't seen um, this kind of of balance and investments and and creation of value. You know, there, there was tons of um, crap so before, and I think now it's already cleaned up, and it's only the the better things that that come on on top. So, yeah, um, pretty good.
0: Are we gonna see more uh, M from the book coming up in the next few months?
1: uh, next few months can say the, the timeline. So definitely we're going to see more MNs. So we have a a decent pipeline there now in terms of timing, it depends not only on us, but, but the other parties as well. Uh, but, but definitely, yeah. Cool. Cool.
0: And let's ask another question. How does Verve today differentiate itself from other ad platforms? Like if you needed to give the elevator pitch for Verve group, what is it?
1: Um, we have three. Three main pillars um, for, for differentiation. The first one is the, the vertical integration. So we have the, the DSP, the SSP, and the audience layer with all the pillars that I mentioned. So I think that creates um, efficiencies of scale and also uh, let's say increases your work in media um, as well as the let's say the, the feedback loops, if you want to iterate it and innovate, even for, for a particular campaign. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is, is our omni-channel approach, right? So we have a strong footprint in mobile and that's where we started. We have one of the largest SDK bases, but we've expanded into web quite significantly with our USPs from mobile and CTV is our second largest channel, right? So, uh, I would say we're taking our, our assets into, into the, the other channels and of and creating value uh, through that. And the creation of value happens through our, let's say our data layer or audience layer, which is uh, fragmented in the three pieces, the same three pillars, but I think it's really, really important. Um, that we connect those dots with those uh, those three channels, so those are, I would say is the, the elevator pitch now I do have two more things that I would add uh, if we stay to two more floors in the elevator and one is the demand diversity. Uh, so we do have a managed service business where we work with, uh, most of the, the large workos. um, then we work with, yeah, quite a few of the fortune 500, uh, brands. Uh, so that's one part. We also have a DSP where, where independent agencies and, and mid-tier agencies can actually self-serve and, and do their own, uh, run their own campaigns and some brands also in-house. And more recently, we also acquired uh, MASH-1, which is our SMB e-commerce uh, platform, which covers more or less all of the SMBs, right? Well, half of the Google and the, and the Facebook spend, if not more, and they say even 70% goes to SMBs. So we try to bring that to the open web, open internet um, as well. So that's the, the demand, demand, sorry, demand or advertiser landscape, right? And then last but not least, we are part of MGI, uh, which has also a gaming unit, right? And, and I can say there's some cool stuff coming up with that collaboration. We operate completely independently and everything we do is arm length. Uh, we treat them as a client, they treat us as a vendor, uh, but we can collaborate with them and we do, uh, in a, let's say, fast iteration loops um, so we can actually bring some innovations to the market. Again, something coming up shortly, um, hopefully. Cool.
0: I wonder, by the way, the, the SMB point is quite interesting. Like- there i guess you really really need to simplify the approach because smbs you know if you introduce them to programmatic buying it's uh, kind of like introducing with no uh, no offense a caveman to uh, an iphone
1: correct so you hit the nail on the on the head actually the way we we run that that platform it's all self-serve so you you, um three clicks to run a campaign and it's all roas optimized so you put fifty dollars you get 150 dollars right with triple digit uh, ROAS, uh, well, uh, how do you say, uh, um, basket value, right? So uh, yeah, it's. I mean, you can try it. It's really three clicks. You put your credit card there. It's fully self-served. You add your creative, select the regions you're in, and and, uh, even it's automated to integrate with Google Analytics, right? Because most of these guys use Shopify and and something like that. So then it's it's seamless. It's so easy, Um, yeah uh i recommend it to everyone who has an smb or a small e-commerce right it's it's basically bringing yeah uh the same usability to your point that facebook and google have right that's i mean when i was using them uh, back in the days it's again three clicks for your dollars and then you get your your TV or your raw back right so it's it's that easy and it should be that easy for for programmatic as well but i agree with you the larger the brands that you the, the the more complex the need. So then they actually need all of the, the tooling of a DSP. But these guys, they only need an ad interface to basically spend budget and, and get customers. customers. Um, let, let me
0: ask you, obviously, like we're incremental, so I'm gonna ask you a question about incrementality. How would you define incrementality in marketing? And do you think it's the holy grail in terms of marketing results? And then last part of the question is how can an ad
1: platform ensure
0: incrementality to its customers?
1: So holy grail, I think um, it, it depends on the stages, right? I think early on when a product is launched, um, um, you actually need to, to figure out which channels you go organically, how do you grow that? So I'd say you don't look at incrementality, right? But as you, as you start opening new channels, opening more partners per channel, then you need to understand what your baseline actually is, including the organic from the before. So as you scale, uh, and you become more um, more advanced in, in in your spend. Then incrementality is is essential. Actually, I, I I don't think you should spend anything without incrementality. Once you have a certain threshold of budget, I don't know what the threshold is, but after a certain threshold, you should not uh, <laughs> you, you should not spend uh, blindly, right? I think you need to bring some some light into those into those channels that bring results and those that don't, and invest and reinvest and do that dy- dynamic. So I would say uh yeah holy grail and the in the mid to larger size uh at the at the smaller size i think they have other other challenges they need to to overcome
0: then do you think an ad platform can like optimize towards incremental results
1: that's that's a good question i think uh well, I think they can. So, so I would say they can. The question is, do they have a, a mixed incentive where, where they want to favor themselves more, right? And yeah, we've seen things from from Critio to, to Facebook and Google and other things, right? So uh, I do think that there's, there's a strong case for independent um, attribution and incrementality measurement, right? I think that there there is, is a case. Now, what I've seen from, from Facebook releasing and open sourcing their, their measurement libraries I think there could be a collaboration, right? I think now they in a world without identifiers, um, where they also got hit, they need to actually collaborate with the with the ecosystem. So I think that's, that's beneficial. And I think um I think slowly but surely it's happening. So yeah, they will contribute to, to measurement attribution, but I think the independence would, would still will would still uh, run it. Or let's say I, I have um yeah. Um yeah um, a high, high trust that, um, that independence will actually be the ones, uh, taking the, the crown for, for incrementality in uh, long-term.
0: Yeah. I can tell you that uh, like, a, I can give you a scoop that indeed many of the big ad platforms are speaking with the incremental because they want to understand if they are generating incrementality to their customers. Um, and you know, it's, I think if you understand that incrementality is always a relative term, means like we'll never release an index, we'll never release this media vendor is incremental, yes, no. Because you could be incremental for one customer not incremental for another. You could be incremental at a certain point of time, and then in a certain point of time, you're just not incremental. But again, it's like I think more people are understanding that incrementality is not an A-B test and say, well, this, like TV doesn't work. Okay, To say that TV doesn't work, it's like, saying Google doesn't work. It's no, you're you're either not using it right, or this is a really bad timing for you. This is like the only two um, definitions.
1: yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous to just say TV doesn't work. Uh, what is your use case? When did you run it? Um, how is it compared to other channels? right? The context is is king, and I think that's what the incrementality gives you context across your channels and and partners per per channel, right? And you do need to look. at the the broader picture, but not to generalize, but actually to understand what's happening in each of of these.
0: So I think that uh, the challenge that TV used to have is, again, it's like to to start a TV test, linear TV, you need production, um, and you need ad spots, which is, again, it's a big upfront investment to even try, and it can fail. Uh, And to be fair, I've seen it. Like, we've seen we have a couple of customers who mainly use the product to measure TV and linear TV. And we've seen it, we've seen a million dollars spend generating zero incremental sales. Um, on the other hand, CTV is quite interesting because like the the barrier of entry, if you already have been doing video advertising, it's quite small. It's like
1: exactly, exactly, and you have more and more data points, plus it's programmatic, right? Like to to TV, what you said, it's it's production and so on, but you also had most of times to pay upfronts right or don't get the the prime spots right where ctv is programmatic you can buy no stop tomorrow and check uh, check that part now to your point about incremental sales i don't know again tv to me is more uh and we will talk about ctv more of an upper funnel uh type of um, type of medium which means you should not measure instant, instant results you should measure your, how your brand increases over time. And then I would say your performance channel should decrease in cost because people know your brand in a specific region or specific niche, right? So it's it's a bit of a longer term investment. Uh, while we see TV now, what we're seeing and hint to, to your point, you can even put performance budgets on the TV if you have, you know, performance in, in quotes. Uh, if you have the, the right video, the right metrics and, you know, the right type of, of targeting, which is much more precise than, than before. So uh, it's it's a very interesting tool or channel. To, to use now uh, versus
0: linear, which has yeah. Yeah, I would see. So I, I would say that you know, from our side again, we are measuring value. So I, I completely agree with you that TV is generally more upper funnel. But again, we are not trying to do multi-touch attribution, and I think we can both agree that no one has ever clicked a banner and bought a house or bought a BMW or <laughs> even bought a refrigerator. It's there's always going to be a funnel. We're not trying mm-hmm. to challenge the attribution per se so for us, the funnel is not the question it's more like did your TV spend create incremental value that you did not get before, whether if it, you attributed to organics or paid that's a different question but. yeah that's kind of the question sure. we're trying to answer.
1: Yeah, and I think there, there's an answer to, to when they, they actually spend it, but there's the other answer about the timeline and how much did they invest over that timeline and when the results will actually be shown because brand is a bit of an, an elusive, uh, it's a more subjective, um, it's hard to, to define metrics for for brands, right? Like what does a, a brand, um, how do you say, um, become uh, more well-known? And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, there are some, some great brands, there are some less great brands, so it's, uh, yeah.
0: You know, I I interviewed Team Wiggles, he's VP Data, it's free now. And he has like a team of 85 data science. And I asked him, how do you measure brand trust? And he told me that it's it's quite interesting because they literally started this process of understanding the brand trusts, especially since they rebranded recently and they used to operate multi-brands and now it's all free now. And, And yeah, they've really been trying to create some sort of a causal measurement for how is their brand perceived?
1: Yeah, and it takes time, right? Think of, uh, think of Uber. I mean, they already have a brand. They can even decrease sometimes marketing spend and performance marketing spend and still have the organics go just because of word of mouth and everything. Uh, but that's the art part to the science, right? Creating the brand and how they get the, the cycle or the flywheel to, to get there. And I guess FreeNow is trying to, to get there as well.
0: Now we created a list of terms flying around the industry. I think we both know it very well. Our industry is amazing at creating uh, new terms. I wanted to hear from you if you think something is a trend or, uh, or BS. Um, yeah, Google ID deprecation.
1: I would say uh, short-term BS um, doesn't seem that they they plan to do that. I think they are busy with the cookie deprecation and getting the industry on board and getting the Irish council. So I would say um, short-term BS, long-term, let's say three years from now, who knows how the privacy landscape would look like, but
0: yeah. Okay, Uh, cross-platform advertising.
1: I mean, this is close to us. I think it's early days. I think it's early days but but it's coming as you don't have identifiers that levels the playing field between between channels uh, so then you can get more creative actually you need to get more creative because the, the luxury of having all the data in one place and yeah is disappearing slowly so then you need to, to to get creative and and you know to your point about CTV is now cheaper than her rewarded video in mobile in app and arguably the screen is I don't know 50 times larger right so <laughs> uh, something you know. to experiment with
0: know while we don't really do too many macro analysis we did one of the things we did see post att was from a market uh, consolidating their ad spend into practically facebook and google the market is now expanding but it's not only to new ad platforms it's also to mediums we've seen a subscription app developer trying flyers we've seen obviously we see a lot of apps going to linear tv ctv podcasts audio influencer marketing so this I really do appreciate how the market is thinking, other than like oh let me just put everything on Facebook and Google and it works.
1: Exactly. It it used to be easy and I think it's uh, it's, it's it's better this way a bit more challenging. But then the value distribution goes back into the ecosystem rather than all in those world gardens hoarding their 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 cash right. So well being <laughs> on this side of <laughs> of the walls uh, just like you are. <laughs> yeah. I'm. Um, I'm. Um, Happy.
0: Next one, NFT.
1: Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I, I, so I would say it has uh, some interesting uh, use cases. I think in gaming for portability and and ownership of of uh, gaming assets across across different games. Maybe so. There's I see some potential value there. The question still remains: Do you really need a distributed ledger data? That, that, that? Is that the best solution for it? But at, at least that that conversation is, is happening. I would say for, for art, why not? As, as we discussed about art and science, right? Art is it's a bit subjective. So then, yeah, um, how do you say, valuing and so on, it's, it's anyway up to supply and demand again. And that can happen. I mean, crypto is what? Crypto, I don't want to generalize, but there's a lot of, um, how do you say, arbitrage happening there, right? So, and, and some certain store of value. So art and, and let's say game items seem like two, two use cases that could end up uh, working metaverse uh, this one uh, I think it's just a good brand name for 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 facebook I think we're we're very far off from, from anything uh, related to that uh, yeah um clean room yeah, you mentioned this this before, so going to the first pillar of um let's say um audience um, activation. I think um, uh, having consent and having user choice, both on the advertiser side and, um, and and the publisher side, and then making sure to exchange the data. But um, again, in, in the most privacy safe way, could potentially work. So I'd say there's this positive, um, positive momentum for, for clear rooms, especially on web and where you have the, the, the emails. Now, long term, I am really thinking um, if the user, the consumer, can perceive or understand even how this, this cream room works and can agree, informed consent, hey, I give my identity now or, or my email, but now it's going to be used by a third party that I don't know or 300 third parties, right, in the clean room. So I think context and informed choice, that's, that's to me still a question if, if and how the the privacy landscape will, will, will evolve now with also TCF being under scrutiny in Belgium, TCF from IAB, the Transparency and consent Framework uh, from the IAB Belgium, so, um, yeah.
0: You know, what's a random fact about you?
1: <laughs> uh, you already know the random fact about me but for for your listeners um i studied medicine so I'm a, I'm a general doctor uh in medicine uh by degree not by practice though <laughs> as we just discussed about my, yeah, my I remember at...
0: the first time i met you know um, was in berlin we had dinner together when i was uh, kind of in the process of joining uplift and uh yeah i was trying to understand like we really vibed well we were like blabbering 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 and then i was trying to ask like which companies you came from you know which ad platforms which ad networks which uh like what's your experience in marketing and you're like no no no." like doctor what i was kind of like blown away what the hell how did you make like how did you do from that to here um and yeah i really really enjoyed by the way it's like you're like you know a high quality person in this world and i always appreciate that about you that was like amazing working with you because you're beyond smart
1: thank you Maur. i uh, appreciate it and, and the feeling is, is mutual
0: cool. if people want to follow you or reach out to you how can they do that
1: uh, the easiest way is my email ic at verve.com uh, but i'm fairly active on on twitter so you can find me by my name and and follow me there as well
0: cool thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure uh, we should catch up soon as well, face to face, if we can. Regulations wise, I don't know. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. For for having. Me.